Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along on the 6th of uh, January and happy Nulig Naman to uh, one and all. The 12th and final day of uh, Christmas. It's also known as Women's Christmas. It's known as Little uh, Christmas. But here in Ireland, of course, we refer to it as Nulig Naman. And as a reward for all of our hard work over the Christmas season, it's said to be a day off from all housework for women and traditional roles were supposed to then be reversed in the home. So the men are today meant to do all of the women's work around the house while we the women put up our feet rest and we're meant to gather informally with other women. Now the custom seemingly, the old custom was that women made social calls and they went to visit other female fr- friends or relatives and neighbours and they'd enjoy a cup of tea and they'd enjoy the last of the Christmas cake. And because it occurred on the 12th day, the last day of Christmas, it was acknowledged by some that the treats that the poor old women enjoyed were the dregs of the leftovers of the festive season. The very fact that they got to enjoy the last of the Christmas uh, cake. And that, of course, was totally different to what happened on what was the men's Christmas, which is Christmas Day, when everybody enjoyed the, the, the first and the finest of treats. What was left for the women was the dregs on the 12th day of Christmas. Now, some of the traditions and superstitions, I suppose, as well around this day, it is, for example, considered unlucky to take down the Christmas tree and the decorations before the 12th day of Christmas. Now, that is a custom that is still recognised and it's still practised uh, by many. And even as I was driving to work this morning, I was trying to peep in people's windows to see and some still had the Christmas decorations up others I think just get particularly I think people who put up their decorations early I think come I think certainly once New Year's Day has gone a lot of people decided nah I'm sick of these now house needs a good clean after all of the decorations been up and a number of people have already uh, taken them down but for some people still respect that they don't come down until the 12th day of Christmas and I know in our house we always leave them up uh, because tomorrow is a special day in our house as well the 7th of January because the 7th of of January is the Russian Orthodox 
uh, Christmas Day and because of Marsha and her roots in Belarus we always try and make that day a little bit special for her and we hold back some of her presents and we always try and have a nice meal just to celebrate the Russian Orthodox Christmas and there'll be a, a lot of people celebrating the Russian Orthodox uh, Christmas because many of the Ukrainians who are living with us would have been at home in their own houses uh, this weekend uh, last year but with us this year so many of them we wish them a, a happy Christmas Day for tomorrow uh, as well now while as I say it was deemed unlucky in some parts not to take down the Christmas tree and the decorations before today Uh, there is one piece of decoration that we're meant to leave up and that's the holly the holly was traditionally left up and retained and I hadn't heard about this before until Shrove Tuesday and what happened then was it was then taken down and it was used in the fire for the cooking of the pancakes on Shrove uh, Tuesday now I've got a couple of little sprigs of holly in my hallway and they wouldn't light much of a fire to cook pan- pancakes. Uh, and of course, I was thinking uh, you were talking about a very different era when huge amounts of holly would have been used to decorate ha- houses in the past. And I think every Christmas Eve when I, I speak with um, the lovely Alice Taylor about Christmas Day traditions, one of the traditions she often mentions is when they, it's usually about a week before Christmas, when they would decorate the house, it was out into the woods they went and they brought in massive amounts of holly into the house and every sort of spare space there was a piece of holly would be placed in it so they would have had enough certainly lots and lots of holly to burn in the fire for the cooking of the pancakes now there's a number of other customs I've come across with regard to Little Christmas Day Uh, now on this day in some parts of the country mothers rubbed the tail of a herring across the eyes of their children to give immunity against the disease for the rest of the year I have never come across or heard of that one before, but it did get me thinking. I mean, with all of the viruses that are out there at the moment, maybe we could all do with having a rub of the herring across our eyes uh, as the tradition goes. And it's meant to be done on this day. It's also believed that one should have the floor swept and have a bucket of clean water ready before going to bed tonight. And then the water from the bucket should not be used in the morning. Now, I don't know what you're meant to do with the bucket or why you were meant to leave a bucket of water uh, out. And a curious belief also was that the well water in Ireland was said to turn into wine at midnight on the night of Little Christmas. Now, no one is permitted, though, to go out and observe the spectacle and to see does the water in the well turn into wine and you're not even allowed to go out and try and sample the water at midnight to see is it a fine tasting wine because if you did that you'd be met with very bad luck for the rest of the year and of course also at midnight on Christmas Eve farm animals that was an, um, was an, an old superstition farm animals are said to have the power of human speech uh, but again a terrible fate awaited anyone who slipped out tried to speak to the hens in the yard or the cows in the barn are the horses in the uh, stable and January 6th was also the night of the big wind so we've got to go back to 1839 uh, for this and what happened on this night in 1839 was a devastating hurricane hit uh, Ireland it left over 100 people dead thousands were left homeless there was mass structural damage done throughout the country and the storm was so strong and so unusual that it was actually viewed by some as supernatural and many people thought that the end of the world had uh, arrived and of course as I mentioned earlier when I was talking with Kim on uh, his programme in the last hour women's Christmas was 
was, you know, it's well known in some areas, but it's particularly well known and celebrated here in Cork and our neighbours across the county bounds in Kerry. But there's other parts of uh, the country who will profess to say that they never celebrated uh, Women's uh, Christmas. And by the mid 20th century, the tradition of Nullig the Man, that had largely died out. But now it's slowly undergoing a revival and probably has been undergoing a revival for the last decade or so. And of course, you've got hotels and restaurants, many of them advertising ladies' afternoon teas or there's dinners organised for tonight and other occasions have been organised. And, you know, there will be a, uh, one or two glasses of Prosecco maybe thrown in for, for good measure. So I don't know how many of our ladies listening to the programme today will be celebrating women's uh, Christmas and is it something should we go back to the old traditions whereby it's just simply a day off for the women and the men take over all the work instead your thoughts welcomed on a women's Christmas our little Christmas our Nullig Naman 0818103103 and I know we have it on our news and it was all over the news yesterday and it's been picked up in a lot of the papers uh, today Patricia McCarthy the 70 year old Cork pensioner who spent 57 hours on a chair in Cork University Hospital Emergency Room. She has been speaking out and I think she's been very, very brave to uh, speak out. She's blasted senior government ministers over the trolley crisis and she says they should hang their heads in shame. Now, Patricia was speaking from her hospital bed. Now, finally, after 57 hours, she did manage to secure a bed in CUH. But that was four days after she presented at the emergency department. She said that she was shocked that this has been allowed to happen, she said, in my city where we have three senior government uh, ministers. And of course, she's talking about that we, the former Taoiseach, now Tánaiste, uh, Micheál Martin, we've got the Finance Minister, Michael McGrath, and we've the Enterprise Minister, Simon Coveney. And she was saying they should hang their heads in shame. I thought another good statement that she made was the Celtic Tiger, she said, was roaring a few years ago. But she says he's in the emergency department hub now, whimpering. And she spoke also about what she described as the poor medical staff, the nurses and the doctors literally running from patient to patient. She said even the cleaners are trying to help them by offering water to patients. Now, she is an asthmatic and she had developed severe pain in her right lung. She said that she was howling like an animal in pain. She got medical attention when she arrived at the emergency department, but then she was left sitting on a chair for the next uh, two days. And she says, I came in a young 70 year old woman and she said, I'll be going out of here an old uh, woman. Patricia McCarthy's uh, desperate situation, of course, comes as the, the HSE's interim CEO. I saw him speak at a press conference yesterday as Stephen Mulvaney. He admitted that the trolley situation is simply unacceptable. He, he went on to say, we apologise for what it's worth to families. And he said, we don't find it accept- acceptable. And of course, as we've already reported this week, hospital consultants have warned that the daily trolley count could breach the 1,000 patient mark as health staff have been asked to work weekends for the next few weeks. Even though I did hear the former hospital consultant, uh, hospital consultant Chris Luke, um, 
he thought it was an insult to hear the HSE saying to hospital consultants that they should come in and work uh, weekends for the next number of weeks because he says, you know, when he was working in a hospital environment and, and he knows, you know, many of his friends are working in hospital environments, he said they're always available. They're always turning up on weekends uh, when they're called in. So he thought it was insulting for them, you know, because it almost made it look like that the health staff are only working a nine to uh, five. And the HSE, of course, also warning further COVID-19, further flu cases, further RSV cases. Now, RSV, that's this really nasty chest virus that's doing the rounds. That has been declining. But of course, there's the worry now that there's going to be a double peak. And that's because of all of the schools reopening yesterday. 0818 103 103. And one listener says, fair play to that pensioner, Patricia McCarthy, for coming out and telling it as it was in the emergency department and actually speaking from her hospital bed. What a disgrace. This listener said, I certainly would not like to think of my daughter being on the floor with no blanket or no a pillow and this poor woman crippled in pain. My God, this is just inhumane. There is no excuse for it. Management are at at fault and once again, nobody is being held uh, accountable. By the way, I think it was fantastic what that lovely lady has done by speaking out. I wish more would speak out and maybe if more spoke out, and described it as it was something might be might be done. Thank you for your text. I'll get to uh, some of your calls and comments coming in, particularly on the health uh, service. Um, but I want to uh, just go to the phone lines because a post-mortem examination, as we've been hearing all morning with Barry on our news, will determine the course of the guard investigation into the discovery of a body of a man found in what has been described as unexplained circumstances in Mallow. Mairead Tuick, our news reporter, joins me with more on this. Good morning to you, Mairead. Good morning, Patricia. And, and you're welcome to the programme. What, what is known so far? So it was shortly after 7pm yesterday evening, Patricia, when Guardian Emergency Services were alerted and the body of a man in his 50s was found at the foot of a stairwell in an apartment. Now, this is on Thomas Davis Street in Mallow, the main street, and uh, he was pronounced dead at the scene and his body was taken to Cork University Hospital. And as you said there, Patricia, the results of a post-mortem which is taking place this morning is going to determine the course of this investigation. And we don't know where the Gardaí contacted. Is that how they turned up yesterday evening at 7pm? Have we any details on that? So what we were told is that they were alerted along with the emergency services to the scene here and uh, when they arrived on scene that, that the man was pronounced dead at the scene and they, they took his body away. Now they have been carrying out door-to-door inquiries at the apartment complex to, to try and establish I suppose, what led to this man's death and they are looking for people who may have information to contact the Mallow Garda station. The number there is 022 31450. Okay, and at this stage, uh, no name has been released yet? No name has officially been released yet. And, and as I say, once that post-mortem exam is completed, the guards will have a, a better idea of where their investigation will go. Okay, so anyone with any information, Malogardi 0223145050, and another one of those tragic starts to the new year uh, for another family. Okay, uh, listen, Mairead, thank you for that, and uh, thanks for joining us. 
Thank you, Patricia. Take care. Good morning to you. And if any more breaks on that story while we're on air, we will certainly bring it uh, to you. But all we know so far is that the man is in his uh, 50s and it was on Thomas Davis Street, which is the main street in Mallow. Uh, may that poor gentleman uh, rest in peace. OK, some of your thoughts and comments uh, coming in just on the women's Christmas uh, and little Christmas. Uh, Tim says, the last day of Christmas is said to be today, the 12th day of Christmas and not a single Christmas song has been played since I came back to work, says Tim, who obviously enjoys Christmas songs. I'd have to check with our music department, but I think we stopped playing Christmas songs. I don't know if we played them on St. Stephen's Day or not. We certainly played them on Christmas Day and we played them in the run-up to Christmas, but I know once Christmas Day is uh, over I think it's then that we stop playing I'm, I'm imagining it's the same for most radio stations but I'll get it checked I don't even know if we play them on St Stephen's Day or not you're going to have to wait until next December Tim for us to start playing Christmas songs uh, for you again and hi Patricia good morning to you I remember growing up when I was growing up on the, the 6th of January was a church holiday and we had to go to Mass and the schools never opened until after the 6th of January and that comes in from Catherine that was all yeah it was certainly the way it was when I was growing up as well no matter what day the 6th of January fell on sometimes you might have gone back to school the day after on the 7th uh, but yeah schools and schools went back yesterday before the 6th so times have certainly changed Annie in McCroom was on to us on behalf of the good people of McCroom to find out was there any update on their boil water notice so we got on to Irish Water who by the We've had a name change. They're now known as Ishka Aaron. So Ishka Aaron, along with Cork County Council, uh, tell us that the boil water notice remains in place and it remains in place to protect public health. Ishka Aaron is progressing works to lift the notice as quickly as and as safely as possible. And obviously they're going to have to do that in consultation with the HSC uh, because it is to protect public health. They tell us at this stage it's hoped that it'll be achieved by late January. So there's certainly another number of weeks in it for people in the McCroom area who must continue to boil all their water uh, before use. 0818103103. Now the Vintners Federation of Ireland say that the proposed changes to licensing laws could threaten the future of traditional Irish pubs and have a detrimental impact on the industry, especially those in rural areas. Michael O'Donovan is chair of the Cork Vintners Federation and Michael joins me. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well and a happy new year to you. Many happy returns. Now, there are the, these are, are plans by the Justice Minister to deregulate the pub sector. What's contained in these plans and what are you most worried about? Yeah, I suppose the background is this uh, sale of alcohol bill is, I suppose, consolidating the licensing laws for the last 100 years into one new law, which um, I suppose we, 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 would, um, we would welcome a lot of it. What we have an issue with is this one problem. It's called the extinguishment. And the current legislation necessitates that in order to obtain a licence, uh, for a new pub or an off-licence, it is necessary to extinguish an existing licence. So that means, in layman's terms, you basically have two ways to enter um, the pub industry. You either buy an existing pub that has a licence, or if you have a building, you buy a licence that from a pub that has closed already. Um, so they're the two ways of coming in. Um, 
uh, current license is uh, you know around forty fifty thousand euros um they fluctuate according to the market and um I suppose what's happening to extinguishment is that if if the bill proceeds as is currently written then uh, the extinguishment would be removed from the um requirement um three years from when the bill would be signed into law and that means potentially that there would be an unlimited number of pubs in the country um and while they're taking it away for the on-trade, they are keeping it for the off-trade. So the government see that it works in one aspect. Um, and what's baffling to us is that they are, um, I suppose, seeing that it's not working in, a, in the on-trade. When, uh, I suppose, when you look back over the last 20 years, we have seen the number of pubs decline hugely. And I suppose we think that it's somewhere now getting to where the market um, thinks it should be. Um, and what we're afraid of is, I suppose, big chains coming in and seeing this and replicating what's happened in the UK where they've lost most of their you know, rural pubs where chains have come in, where there's been one pub or two pubs in an area um, and they've been surviving. Um, a, a, a chain pub comes in and wipes out the, the two pubs that were surviving uh, because they just won't be able to compete with them. And I suppose the, the, the community and the family aspect of that disappears then, and it's a big loss to the community. Yeah, because I know uh, Helen McIntyre, before she went out on mat leave, uh, when she was announcing uh, this bill as Justice Minister, she was saying at the time that the proposals of removing the limit on the number of pubs would revitalise and reinvigorate rural Ireland. But, but, you, but you disagree. Yeah, look, we, I suppose, look, from COVID, we've seen, uh, Patricia, that, you know, the pub was uh, a bedrock of the community. People were calling for it to be opened, looking for it, supporting it. And when it's come back, you know, we've seen a, a big bounce back uh, for a lot of pubs. And pubs pivoted, you know, they they moved to doing maybe live music. Outdoor areas have improved hugely. Uh, it's changed, and the pub industry is always changing. And, you know, some people will say we're afraid of competition, pubs of competition every day of the week because they're in competition with each other. They've other uh, hospitality outlets that they're in competition. It's it's not competition that we're afraid of, but we think that this um, this theory that Minister McAtee has, that it will revitalise rural Ireland, uh, this is a flawed premise because, you know, we've seen the pubs are in decline in rural areas, yeah. not because of any barrier to entry, but for the number of other reasons, which are demographics and changing uh, consumer habits. Yeah, um, absolutely. We, we've seen so many of the small rural pubs uh, close and they closed because they weren't doing a, a, a business. And, uh, and I suppose the big fear is that it's mostly those family run pubs that, that you speak of, family run pubs that have been in some families for many, many generations. Yeah. And look, you can see it from the revenue figures, you know, that are posted every year when the pubs make their returns. They're not making um, they're not making fortunes in these businesses. They're just surviving. You know, these businesses create uh, employment in the area. Um, they're as I said, they're a community hub. It's fundraising. Often the publican sponsors local soccer, or GA, or teams locally. You know, if the big chains come in, that doesn't happen as we've seen in the UK. They don't get involved in the community at all. They're there for profit. Biz- for business and profit, and that's it. And um, like, if if uh, if this proceeds, it will be again detriment to the rural community that that this will happen. So, this is why we think it's a flawed premise for uh, proceeding with this part of the bill. 
Okay, and and are you hearing from members as we're heading heading into the uh, new year as to how the new year is going? I mean, I take it most had a good Christmas period, but it's these next few months, Michael, that are going to be really tricky. Yeah, it's the next few months. I suppose quarter one, we were always worried about, you know, we've energy inflation, we've inflation in general. So um, talking to colleagues now the last couple of days, everybody seems to have had a strong December, good December. Uh, that was expected with the pent-up demand that was there. And I think uh, the results uh, that people are saying, it was very strong. Um, we're on the road at the moment. There's AGMs going on January and February. Um, and like what we're hearing, um, this week is it's, it's gone very quiet, which is expected. And I suppose going forward, there is a worry that uh, consumers may be uh, tightening the belt. And you know, after Christmas, where they splurge little, and that will have a huge knock-on effect then for the businesses going forward into quarter one. Um, so yeah, it's a worry the next few weeks because everything seems to be increasing at the moment again, as we've seen in the last couple of weeks, um, and that's putting pressure on businesses. Do you expect tonight to be busy with Women's Little Christmas? Hopefully. Um, <laughs> look, you, you don't know. The weather isn't too uh, yeah, appealing at yeah. the moment, looking out the window, the, the wind and the rain. But hopefully um, hopefully people will come out and celebrate the yeah. tradition of it. Yeah, it's, it's all for the ladies. It's all for the ladies. And I, I mean, I'm assuming that you'll be hearing from members, again, going back to the ones in rural areas. Are, are some opting to open, say, only on the weekends? Yeah, look, it's, it's, um, it's an increasing, um, I think, uh, phenomenon at the moment. Like... If, if you walk around towns this week, um, since Monday, a lot of places were closed Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, and I think look for the next few weeks, that will be the way it will be because they'll be trying to, I suppose, cut their cloth accordingly to, to try and save and make the business as viable as possible each week. OK, listen, uh, we wish you well going forward, Michael. In the meantime, thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. No problem. Thank you, Patricia. Good morning to you. That is uh, Michael O'Donovan, who is chair of the Cork Fitness Federation with their concerns about the proposed changes to the licensing laws. Do we? I mean, I think everyone accepts we had too many pubs in this country at one stage. And I think Michael is right. I think we've got just about got the balance right now on the number of pubs, even though there are some rural areas who lost the only pub that they had left uh, and they are completely without one. Now, according to this week's Irish Farmers Journal, four powerful polar operating satellites will inspect all Irish farms every five days during 2023. To find out more about these satellites, I'm joined by Darren Carty, who is Sheep and Schemes editor with the Farmers Journal. Good morning to you, Darren. Good morning, Patricia. And Happy New Year to you and you're welcome to the programme. Now, I have to say that, goodness me, this really sounds a little bit like Big Brother is watching you. What information will be gathered by these powerful satellites? Essentially, Patricia, it's every say farmer that puts in an application uh, under the basic payment scheme or what will replace the new basic payment scheme next year or the areas of natural constraint. All of that land will be viewed. And what the department are looking at is to detect the presence of ineligible structures. Now, that could be something like farmyards, houses that haven't been digitised or haven't been excluded out of that, uh, areas of scrub or they'll also look at, say, what crop is claimed. So, for example, whether it's grassland, barley, uh, beans, whether the correct crop is being claimed. And the last thing, then, is that there's a farm activity taking place that from 2023 onwards, every farmer has to satisfy the, the land they're claiming on that there is uh, farm activity happening. So that could be that there's livestock presence, there's hay being cut, there's crops being mown, that 
obviously that land is being claimed would just be left there. And will farmers right across the EU be subject to the same sort of inspections? Yeah, so this is an EU rule that the department uh, mandatorily has to introduce. So they're introducing us across two schemes uh, for 2023, and then in 2024 it will be uh, say, it'll be operated across all dairy-based schemes. So the 14A scheme, the strong cooperation measure. If we do have a father support scheme in 2024, it will come into place for that as well. And it's it is every EU member state, and all EU member states will work off say the the same two satellites, which will. Uh, monitor uh, Irish agricultural land. And up to this, Darren, how often and how were farms inspected? So the main one would have been a 5% say on the spot check. So a farmer could get a phone call today saying that he has an inspection tomorrow and a Department of Agriculture inspector would come out, walk the land, see this is what's present there on the ground, correspond with maps. Oh, there was some satellite inspections done in recent years. Now, it would have been a new sort of uh, system and there would be a small number overall done. But farmers have had, say, got letters out to say that there was a satellite inspection done. This is what has been found. And they would be given an opportunity to either accept the findings or to reject the findings. And there's a, I suppose, there's a, a, a side element to the new technology that's coming in here is that the department have also developed a new app called AgriSnap. So if the satellite finds, just say, for example, that there was one hectare of ground in it and a farmer claimed 1.2 hectares, they'd be given an opportunity to either agree with the, what the satellite has found or to reject it. And one of the things that could be used is, say, this new AgriSnap which takes geotagged photos. So a farmer or advisor would have to take a photo, send it back to either, uh, to say, put there, I suppose, maybe the fence across of what exactly is there on the ground. And those agri-snap photos have been approved by the EU to be used in such a manner. Yeah, because I, I was wondering if something is picked up um, by the satellite inspection, uh, would a farmer be notified and be able to take action, say, to address it? Yeah, so the first notification farmers will get is what we're told is in mid-June say some of these uh, say non-compliances is what they're called so just say for example if if a farmyard was found in a parcel of land that wasn't uh, say excluded out now sorry I should also mention that some of these will be they might come up with a non-compliance but a farmer might have already made say an adjustment to the claimed area but it might not be physically excluded out or marked on the map. So if there's something like that, say, marked out, farmers will get notified in June that there's something there. They'll be able to go in and change or uh, say, adjust the map accordingly. And then on the 1st of August, every farmer will get a report uh, that has made an application for the for the BIS or for A&C, and that will work in the traffic light system. It'll be green on a parcel to say that what has been found by the satellite inspection corresponds to what is claimed. It'll be red where there is a non-compliance that needs to be uh, adjusted or there can also be an orange, say, score given to that. And that's where the the, the satellite maybe hasn't picked up or hasn't made a a, a confirmatory uh, decision and the leader needs to be monitored for longer or else 
further information provided in the likes of these photos to uh, uh, confirm what's there. And how are farmers reacting to the news of these? Yeah. Pa- and the, I mean, the fact that farms can be inspected every five days, I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, uh, there is a lot of worry. Uh, some of the feedback we're getting is this, is this uh, an invasion of privacy? Is it legal? There's all of these questions that are coming up. And like even the most conscientious farmer, the way I'd liken it is that if you're driving down the road and you have your insurance cert is up to date, your NGT, your tax cert, and you come across a guard uh, inspection, it's human nature in the back of your mind you're sort of worried that you need, <laughs> there's something I need to worry about here. We all do that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And like as one farmer said to me yesterday, he said, he said, Ginny said he'd have things right, but it's, it's something that he's, it's a worry. And like, and Irish farmers are already farming to the most exacting standards right across the EU, right across the globe. So this is another, I suppose, maybe layer that there is, there is a lot of concern at the moment. And I think that over the next week, there'll be a lot of questions asked around, have they signed up to this by by getting payments from the EU? Where is the information being stored? How available will the information be? Will it just be to farmers? Uh, will it be available to the wider, uh, say, uh, population in the same way that the department's payments are made available now? And like that was quite a conscientious, uh, contentious thing a few years ago when it was brought in. Yeah, absolutely. But certainly, I mean, you know, looking at these, you know, really, really powerful satellites, there's there'll be no hiding from for nope. farmers. Yeah, and like, and look, farmers, that's not the that's not the concern that's coming up here or the feedback we're getting back. It's because farmers are saying, look, we realise. We are farming, that we have to adhere to environmental standards, animal welfare, whatever the suite of measures is. I think it's the fact that the concern around that this is being monitored maybe possibly all the time now. Mm. Uh, I think that's more the concern rather than farmers saying that, Ginny, I, I can't hide from anything here. And, and I think that's that more so is, is the concern. Yeah, because, yeah, you know, the majority of farmers, you're right, are, are doing everything above board you know there will exactly. be there will be the rogue ones and obviously the rogue ones are the ones that deserve to be cut out but uh, Joe says would the new EU satellites be able to pick up farmers who illegally spread slurry b- b- during the prohibited closed season here in Bandon it's been nothing short of a disgrace the amount of slurry that was spread in November and December yeah uh, look and I suppose the technology is there to be able to do with this, that, that right now what the algorithms are written is around, say, land eligibility, ineligible structures, uh, the, the crops that are there. But, like, definitely when you see the scope of what these satellites offer and you see the technology that's there, that is something that certainly could be picked up in the future. And it's something that you would say that, given where this is moving, there probably will be more of a move to a continual monitoring as well. Yeah, and I think that will be a concern for for people in the farming community and in not even even outside of the farming farming community. The fact that these satellites are up there, and it's you know as, as I said, almost tongue in cheek at the start of the con- our conversation, it is Big Brother watching you. Yes, uh, definitely. Like, and I think that is 
that it'll take a while to adjust to that. And I think that that's what a lot of the farm organisations I think are looking into this week is is around how this information is handled, how it's going to be, how farmers are going to be assured that it's uh, that it's handled for for the target as what it is, and that they can feel assured that the information that is being collected on their farms. Is, is handled correctly. Yeah, and stored safely. Stored safely is going to be the big one for a lot of people as well. All right, listen, uh, Darren, thank you for that and an interesting article in the Farmer's Journal this week on, on the satellite inspections. But thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you, Patricia. Good morning to you. That is Darren Carty, Sheep and Schemes Editor with the Farmer's uh, Journal. And those satellites now are beginning their inspections and the inspections will happen every five days. Very, very different to how it was prior to this where only 5% of all farms would have been subject to, at that stage, would have been an on-the-spot inspection. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of your calls and comments uh, coming into the programme. Martin in Fomoy has been on to us. This is Martin who's trying to give up the cigarettes. He says at the end of his text, he's still on five cigarettes a day. You're doing well, Martin. Uh, you'll get there yet. You really will. You'll get to give them up completely. Anyway, he says, Happy New Year. Many happy returns to you, Martin. Uh, Martin's wondering, why was there so much traffic in the town of Fomoy yesterday afternoon? Martin says, I know the schools were back, but it just seemed to be a huge amount of traffic yesterday. Martin said it took 45 minutes to get from the courthouse to the start of the bridge. He also noticed that the lights at the square seem to be changing very, very quickly. And that's always frustrating when you come up to a junction and only two or three cars get out and then the lights have changed again. People get very, very annoyed with that. Martin describes it as a disgrace and did others who happened to be in the Fomoy area yesterday know and notice that there seemed to be a very, very busy build-up of traffic. Was it just to do with the schools being back, um, I wonder? Because yesterday was a kind of a miserable day as well. So some children who traditionally may walk to school I take it parents were forced to drive them yesterday because of the weather as well I don't know if it's just down to schools or not let us know if you were in for more and noticed excessive traffic or is it just the usual build up of traffic in the town of Formoy 0818103103 and then lots of people commenting on what is going on or isn't going on in our health service at the moment and what is happening particularly inside in our accident and emergency department and I was wondering, would I get any commentary or texts in about the secret filming that was done by RTE at the University Hospital in Limerick? And they also managed to get into St. Vincent's Hospital in uh, Dublin. I would love to know how they managed to get in with the hidden camera, particularly the scenes from the University Hospital in Limerick, because whoever was walking around with that camera, quite obviously in a bag by the way it was being uh, filmed, seemed to have huge access to the accident and emergency department and was able to walk from one corridor into another corridor into another room. Now obviously if you didn't see the footage they, they, they did pixelate everybody's faces. You didn't you certainly wouldn't have been able to identify anyone but it was frightening to see what was going on inside in the accident and emergency department and uh, Phil contacted us this morning to say she also watched those scenes on TV last night and uh, at the hospital crisis uh, and her point is where is health and safety? If this happened in any other workplace uh, surely that establishment would be uh, closed down. Is there no one in charge ponders Phil this morning and when I was watching the scenes on the hidden camera what struck me was I had heard from 
you know, a number of other people who have been inside an accident and emergencies that you'd hear re- reported on news channels and uh, speaking to newspapers. You know, people talk about it was like a war situation when we're inside in the accident and emergency. And that was the one thing that struck me watching the hidden cameras. It was as if they were in the middle of a war situation or there had been some catastrophic incident that had happened in an area and suddenly, you know, all of the ambulances were directing all of the people who were recovering from whatever, an explosion, for example, or a bomb had gone off and they were bringing everybody into the accident and emergency to try to get them treatment. That's certainly what it felt like. And, you know, instead you're thinking these people and everybody that was on a trolley in those scenes were people who had been deemed sick enough that they needed a hospital bed. They were all lying in these corridors. There wasn't room to open the doors in some of the corridors because the trolleys were literally backed up and it was like literally toe to feet, toe to feet and every available space was taken up. It really was incredible uh, to witness and you know I sort of said a silent prayer Uh, to keep all of us out of hospital at the moment, you certainly would not want to contemplate getting that unwell that you would need a hospital bed or need hospital treatment. It really was uh, scary. Thank you for your text, uh, Phil. And some of your calls and emails and messages into us. Derek was on to us to say that one day this week he ended up spending 17 hours, now it was from 9pm at night, Uh, in Cork University Hospital. He was there with his 85-year-old mother. His 85-year-old mother was on a trolley in the emergency department in the ambulance entrance corridor. He said it was deeply shocking uh, to witness and not right for the many octogenarians who were present. It's not from lack of HSE staff commitment. The ambulance crews had to wait with their patients in the corridors as there was no staff to take care of the inbound or the admitted patients. A double whammy. The staff are operating as if it was a war. They will be burnt out and you will see and you can see the age profile that they are very young. The staff are very young, but they will still head for burnout while a rewarding job when things go right at the moment. It certainly has got to be affecting them. The system really needs a radical overhaul. And, And thank you for that, Derek. And I don't know if you were listening yesterday, but I mentioned a piece that I'd heard from the Irish Nurses and Medical, um, the INMO, the Irish Nurses and uh, Midwives Organisation, and they were saying they were getting calls in from some of their members in absolute tears, talking about how how they were struggling to go into work every day and the, the effect that it was having having on them. And burnout is a word that you're, you're definitely right because the INMO was saying that, you know, if you get an odd day like that, that's extremely busy, you know, one or two days, you can cope with that. But every single day that the nurses and doctors are turning up in the accident and emergency department for the last number of weeks, and certainly we've been told it's going to be the same for the next number of weeks going forward, they're facing that every single day. Day and most of them are in there doing what 12 hour shifts it really is so so difficult I've heard of nurses who literally say they don't have time to go to the toilet they don't have time to take a break they're trying to grab a sandwich while at a desk you know they don't get to sit down and ha- have a break you, people can't keep working at that level and at that uh, pace it's, it's just it's not normal and they will absolutely they'll head for burnout thank you Derek and I hope your mum is recovering and managed to get a hospital bed Heidi says Patricia 
What's needed is a complete overhaul of the HSC and its management structure. What's needed is not so many file carrying people, it's more nurses. Also, we're back to the the same old argument, bring the matron back when the matron ran the whole hospital. We didn't have any of these problems. Too much money, Heidi reckons, is paid on big pharmaceutical companies, pills, etc. Lots of different departments. It should all be under one department. That way they could save money. Too many people don't complain enough. And why we don't complain is because we appreciate our nurses and people don't want to. And even though the nurses are facing a lot of backlash when patients get very frustrated or the people with them get very frustrated, the nurses are at the cold face of it. They are the ones that that can take a lot of abuse. But I think you're right. I think we don't come out publicly and complain enough. I mean, one of our other listeners earlier was saying, well done to Patricia McCarthy, that pensioner who's currently in Cork University Hospital and was speaking from our hospital bed yesterday to any media that uh, cared to listen to her and she was really getting her story across of the 57 hours she spent sitting in a chair and maybe if we hear more of those uh, stories and more people go public with those stories then maybe just maybe something will be done and then a West Cork listener says Hi Patricia if the nurses go on strike on the 21st of January which I think they should do and I think then I think we should all go and stand with them on that day after all they are affected by being worked off their feet and we the Joe Soap i.e. the patient are also being affected because it's taking so long particularly if you end up in accident and emergency so let's go and support them and fight this together says the West Cork listener now as far as I know Irish nurses haven't set a date to go out on strike what you may be referring to uh, the West Cork listener is the nurses in England, Scotland and Northern Ireland. I know they already had strike days before Christmas and they've announced two more strike days are to take place on the 18th and the 19th of January but that's England, Wales and Northern Ireland. Haven't heard of any official strike date mentioned by the Irish Nurses and Medical Organisation but that's not to say that they won't with the, with the way everything's going at the moment. You certainly can, can could understand if they do decide to go out on strike because it's just very, very frightening what they are facing at the uh, moment. Somebody is blaming the government for everything that's going on in accident and emergency and our hospitals. Listener feels they don't seem to care. They have the country up in turmoil says uh, this uh, listener. Heidi is back. Uh, says also, Patricia, another problem is the HSE closed so many local hospitals, accident and emergency department, which has caused more problems on the bigger hospitals. And actually, I saw only in the paper today the, the you know the the university hospital in Limerick, which always seems to have the most people on trolleys, and during the week somebody pointed out it was because all of the smaller satellite hospitals all lost their accident emergencies, like we did in Bantry and like we did in Mallow, and everyone get, for us everyone gets funneled into CUHR to the mercy. Whereas in Limerick, they only have the one accident and emergency department now for a, quite a wide area. And one of the accident and emergency departments that they closed was the one at Ennis uh, General Hospital. And I saw yesterday there was a directive from the HSC that uh, to direct some of the patients who are in the back of an ambulance, they're now being sent to Ennis after they close the accident and emergency there. They're now accepting that they can't take them all in UL and they're reverting back to Ennis, which to me is crazy because there was so much fighting at the time on behalf of the people of Ennis not to close their A&E and people predicted 
that what is happening at the moment would happen if you lessen the number of A&E departments. And the HSC are also saying that they have high rates of worker absences at the moment and that's a growing concern. One in 20 healthcare staff are currently out of work. The overall absent rate within the HSE has risen uh, higher than 4.5% due to illness and other related illnesses. So if you take that the HSE have a workforce of more than uh, 100,000 workers, that potentially means there's about 4,500 workers that are out sick and that's obviously having a knock-on effect on all parts of uh, the hospital. And of course it's the youngest and the oldest who are bearing the brunt of the flu season. Children under four in particular are being hit. They're some of the ones that are ending up in hospital. And then the people at the other end, people over age uh, 65, we're seeing the largest rate of infection and hospitalisations in that, that two particular age groups. Now trolley numbers did ease a little bit yesterday I haven't got today's figures yet but yesterday they had dropped but they're still very high they dropped to 639 people on a trolley waiting to get a hospital bed now it was down thankfully um nearly 300 from the record that was set on Tuesday of 931 but it's still you can't celebrate 639 poor souls lying on a trolley waiting to get a hospital bed and reading through the papers today the HSC are coming up with some possible solutions to it. One is that GP practices are being asked to sign up to provide eight hours of additional appointments. The HSC is also looking to expand the 140 beds currently being provided by private hospitals. So many of our listeners have said, let's look to the private hospitals like what we did during uh, uh, COVID. And they're also, I read with interest that the HSE is also looking to identify private nursing homes which may have closed recently to see if it's possible to reopen them. Because, of course, we have a cohort of people who are in hospital beds. They're fit for discharge, but there's nowhere for them to go. There either isn't, they need step-down facility, they either need to go to a nursing home or they need to go home with a home care package. They've been approved for a home care package. There's a huge number can't get the home care package that they need. And, of course, the knock-on effect of that, and I hate using the word bed blockers. I really do hate using that word. But technically, that's what it is. It's somebody who's in a hospital bed who's fit, it's been deemed fit to go somewhere else, but there's nowhere else for that person to go. And what happens? That person remains in the bed, which means somebody downstairs in the accident emergency department remains on the trolley. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. The High B Fitness in Mallow are looking for a fully full-time qualified gym instructor uh, to join their team. You can email Elaine on leisure at hibernianhotelmallow.com. Childcare workers are wanted for the Ray of Sunshine. It's a morning and afternoon uh, services in Kerry Pike National School. Now, the service operates year-round. The number to call is 87 2724881 and an apprenticed electrician is wanted to work in the McCroom area of Cork. Please apply with a copy of your CV to info at 
petrosystems.ie. If you go to our website, you'll get all the details and more information on job vacancies. Go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Councillor Paul Hayes in West Cork, who has just sent in a message uh, to say that there is a mains water break affecting the water supply to Court McSherry and the Greater Barry Row area. Now, Irish Water are aware of this and staff are on the ground near Grange Barry Row trying to resolve the issue. But it may be this evening before water is restored and pressure builds back up. So that's for people in the Court McSherry Barry Row area uh, water outage due to that mains water break. But they are working on it. Thanks to Paul for that. 0818103103. Now, according to a new report from the Irish Hairdressers Federation, thousands of people around the country could actually be left without their local hairdresser unless the government acts quickly to reduce that on the sector. Lisa Eccles is Vice President of the Irish Hairdressers Federation and she joins me to explain more. Good morning to you, Lisa. Good morning. And you're very welcome to the programme. Now, how much is that currently set at for hairdressers and by how much do you want it reduced? So we're currently set at the 9% VAT rate, which is similar to being, you know, part of hospitality. So like hospitality and hairdressing are grouped together. Um, and we ideally, we'd love to come in line with what is happening in Europe, where the European standard is about 5% VAT rate. Um, the VAT rate is actually due to increase again at the end of February. It, it was reduced from 13.5% down to the 9%. Um, they brought it back up temporarily and then they reduced it back down again for us kind of with COVID. Um, but we really feel that, you know, hair salons are such a vital part of local communities and villages. And salons already operate off a very tight margin that having to, if we have that increase to 13.5%, it's going to be absolutely devastating for the industry so not only do we want them to you know not just keep it at the nine we think we really need to bring it down to five percent to really help businesses be viable and actually help improve employment in in local towns and villages where where salons are operating just on that issue of hairdressers charge the same rate as hospitality have you any understanding of why hairdressers are deemed the same as hospitality it's just to uh, European regulations. So this actually falls in line with what is happening in Europe. Right. So we come in under under certain kind of uh, categories. So that's why it just seems to have gotten lumped, like, lumped in with hospitality. Yeah. So on, on that basis, that's why we're saying, well, if you want to go with the European standard of having hairdressing and hospitality linked, why can't we have that European standard of a 5% bat rate? For yeah, a lower yeah. one. And as with every industry, Elisa, I take it all of your costs have gone up. Absolutely. They've just spiralled. I mean, we all know everybody, every single person in this country is facing energy hikes. It's the exact same for businesses. But all of our stock costs have gone up as well. So even, for example, the aluminium foil that we use when we're doing our highlighting and that, that's gone up on average by 25%. Um, most of our colour costs have gone up, up by about 10%. And then also your teeth. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. 
When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Your staff, they're really struggling with cost of living as well. So a lot of my team are coming to me and they're talking to me about like, you know, can they earn more money? Can they get a pay rise? And you're trying to do everything that you can to kind of keep them happy so that they don't turn into the shadow economy because that's another huge issue for our industry that I think is very unique to our industry as well where if somebody's not getting paid enough in a job, well, maybe I'll just quit and I'll go and I'll work in the shadow economy that's tax-free and I'll go and claim benefit then instead. Mm. And that's, that's, you know, leading into a skill shortage in the industry as well. So the government really has to do something to help hair salons keep our, our staff in the, in the business and help us with our costs. So, because the thing is, with the VAT increase, what will happen there is salons have no choice but to add that VAT on. The government is essentially taxing our customers. It's not the salons that are saying, oh, we, we're going to charge more money. We have to pass that VAT increase on. So, what then happens is clients suddenly say, well, maybe it's not so affordable. Maybe I can get somebody to come to my house that'll do it for a little bit cheaper. And this kind of, you know, vicious cycle will begin. And, you know, the government actually did a review back in 2018 of the effect of the VAT cut in 2011. And they actually said that they found that it contributed to job growth. It actually overall, we had a bigger tax take then as well. So certainly, like, there's, there's, you know, very valid reasons from the government's own report mm. that actually keeping the VAT at a lower rate will help our businesses. Yeah, because I, I know before uh, Christmas, I think November, we were talking about, you know, with the energy costs mm-hmm. and obviously the nature of the work that you do, you rely so much on uh, electricity. Uh, yeah. We were talking about hairdressers and there's only so much that you can put your prices up by, Lisa. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like, and, and that's the thing, it's, it's it's really difficult too. We've such personal relationships with our clients. Like even I look at some of, you know, some of my older clients that come in to me, we might be the only place that they go the whole week yeah, long. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I don't want it to become a point then where it's unaffordable for my lovely little lady Tess to come down and get her hair blow dried or get her colour done because like the prices are just, you know, just Yeah, and you know, and you know by chatting to her, she's living probably on a state pension. Yeah. She's trying to make her money stretch. She puts away yeah. her little bit every week to yeah. go and get her hair done. You can't turn around and say, "Oh, by the way, I, I got to increase it by a tenner." Yeah, because you exactly. know she, you know, you, you know, she, you know she they won't don't have it. it. Yeah, and your members, in fairness, um, Lisa had a very difficult time with with lockdowns uh, yeah. during COVID. Has has the industry started to recover? You know, are you back, say, to pre-COVID figures and numbers um, coming in? 
Certainly not. No. no. So, I, like for the for the two years basically that we had the kind of COVID lockdowns, our our businesses were closed for ten months out of those two years. So that was a lot. I mean, that was almost a year out of two years that our businesses were closed for. So not only are salons struggling with maybe back rent that they're trying to get paid off, maybe they have debt warehouses as well, so they're trying to get that paid off. And then we just don't seem to have gotten back, or people haven't even got back to the same frequency of going to hairdressers because they got out of the habit of going every six weeks. So mm. some people now say, oh, I've stressed it, I'll do a little colour, touch up myself in between, and we might only see them then every 12 weeks so you know that kind of like rhythm has kind of been lost as well and again I can totally understand clients are all struggling they're all trying to find ways to cut costs and unfortunately a lot of the time people will say well getting my hair done maybe it's a bit of a luxury I'll just do a little touch up myself or I'll I'll stretch out my hair cut an extra couple of weeks so we're certainly nowhere near back to the pre-covid numbers that we would have been doing and and you you also we also need to emphasize that hairdressers bring footfall into towns and villages because I mean it's a service you can't provide online. No, so you, you, can't you, get... you bring people into an area. Exactly, we are so important as a driver of footfall into every village, every town, and every city centre. You know, any of those high street shops, you can go online and you can buy your clothes or your shoes or whatever you want to buy, but you can't buy a haircut online. <laughs> so you have to go into your your local village. And while you're in your local village, maybe you go to your coffee shop and you pick up a coffee. You go to your local shop and you buy something there. Or you go into the city centre, you have a browse around the clothes shop, you pick up a top. You know, it it really is so important that we, we get that support from government to really help us, to help all those other businesses as well. You know, we're all in this together, essentially. And the loss of a hairdresser, particularly in a rural area, would be absolutely devastating because in many cases, Lisa, it's the only hairdresser in the village. Absolutely. And I mean, we've I've already, like even myself, I know of three salons that have decided to close their doors from December 31st. They just said they're not going into 2023. It's too difficult. They can't, they don't see any hope. They just have been struggling so much for the last couple of years. And I think that's just going to continue. I think you're going, you're going to hear of more and more salons closing. And, you know, and also as well, you have to remember, we're a huge employer of um, women. You know, we employ a huge amount of women. We offer flexible working hours for women who have children. You know, even, for example, in my salon, I have some of my team who actually work like at 9.30 to 2 p.m. So they drop their kids to school, they come in, they do a little morning shift, and then they go and they collect their children from school. You know, because, you you know, I want to encourage those women to be able to still come to work and to have that, like, outlet and to have that independence as well. And also, you know, you know, the academic route is not for everybody. So, you know, we provide apprenticeships and we want to get women and men into the industry. And, you know, again, a lot of the time with hairdressing, we actually pay for all that ourselves. It's only we've only recently had a hairdressing apprenticeship um, be launched in this country, an official hairdressing apprenticeship. And while that's doing really well, it's still not quite meeting the demand that's there for us. There's not enough places available. So, like, a lot of salons will actually take in people who want to train for hairdressing. They invest very heavily in them and training them up and getting them to be hairdressers. And, you know, it's it's, it's a wonderful skill to have. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and it's the one we're always going to need. 
Absolutely, you know, um, and and I think as well, you know, even just that personal touch as well of a hair salon, you know, I mean, I know therapy is getting very popular now in Ireland, but, you know, for years, hairdressers have also been therapists for yeah, people. They yeah. come in, they, they, they're able to task, they're able to, like, get things off their chest. And the same for guys as well going into barbershops. I feel like it's the exact same kind of scenario. They can have a nice conversation. So we're really vital, important businesses. And I just think it's so important that the government, you know, try to do everything they can to help us all we're asking for is just that little bit of help yeah and and, and, I I, I think that's important to point out it's not that you're looking for a zero rate of VAT you're just looking for a reduction to help out your your members I mean only this week we were talking about the tax returns were huge uh, last year so it's not too big an ask no definitely not and certainly because like I think even like the zero VAT rate when you mentioned that that was given to newspapers um, in the country and we actually employ more um, as an industry than the newspaper industry does so we need that little bit more help because we are a labour intensive industry as well you know and and the other thing is like the government have actually predicted inflation of up to 7% this year so they're saying 7% plus they want to add on an extra 4.5% to what people are going to pay in salons then on top of that like it's just on Nulig Naman, you're just saying to yourself, why are you attacking the women that just want to go out and get their hair done? <laughs> well, said. well said. Listen, and happy Nulig Naman to you and the rest of your team, Lisa. And thanks a million for taking time out to talk to us. No problem. Thank you. Good morning to you. Bye bye. That is uh, Lisa Eccles, who is the vice president of the Irish Hairdressers Federation. Where would we be without our hairdressers? It appears that bird watchers from all over the country are flocking to the wonderful Gira wetlands near McCroom in the hope of catching a glimpse of a bird not normally spotted in this country. With all the information on the sightings of a penduline tit, I'm joined by Nile Hat, uh, Hatch of Birdwatch Ireland. Good morning to you, Niall. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well. Now, I've seen photographs. They're stunning little birds. They're tiny little birds. Can you tell me a little bit about them? I can indeed. And, and there are three of them currently at the Gira, which is really a, a turn up for the books because it's the first time this species has ever been seen in Ireland. As you said, they're very, very small little birds. They're kind of brown on the back. They have these grey heads and little black bandit masks, the best way I could describe it, over their eyes. And they tend to be found almost always around bulrushes, the big tall rushes that have those those um, sort of padded looking tips at the top. And that's exactly what, why the gear is, is, is seems to be so suitable for them. So they were discovered, I think it was on New Year's Day, and since then quite a lot of bird watchers have been going there to, to try and find them, to have a look at them. Um, I know that I've heard in the last few minutes that they are still present. People have been watching them this morning, so they are around. Brilliant. Uh, and uh, normally they would, this is a bird that would be found in parts of southern and eastern Europe or across into Asia. They don't normally occur even anywhere that near to Ireland. So it's really quite remarkable that uh, not just one, but three of them have turned up on, 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 on in, in the And, you, year, and you, you believe it is the first recorded sightings? Yes, indeed, yes. So, so um, there's, uh, there's quite a lot of attention paid to, to different birds when they turn up in Ireland. Obviously, Ireland is in a very good location to attract what we call vagrant birds, birds that have, have got lost or have migrated the wrong way, perhaps, because you know, sometimes, you know, let's for example, say, for example, birds coming across the Atlantic Ocean were the first land that they'd meet. Birds coming down maybe from Scandinavia or heading across from Siberia were the very last port of call before they would go out over the ocean. Um, so we, we do keep a lot of track of these birds in Ireland. And certainly, there's never been a, a verified um, case of or, or record of, of these pendulum in Ireland before. And you mentioned that there's three and, and you say that that's un, unusual. It is, yes. Normally when, a, when a, a rare bird turns up and especially when it's the first time it's been seen in Ireland, usually it's just one lost individual and it tends to turn up. It's, it's actually unusual to see multiples of a species that's never been recorded here before. So that makes this sighting even more noteworthy, I think. 
two males and a female, is there a possibility of breeding? Um, who knows? I mean, it's not the nesting season and who knows if these birds will stay around. We don't know how long necessarily they've been present. Uh, the Giro is obviously a very large area. There's lots of parts of it where people wouldn't be able to see into. So these birds may have been present for some time um, or they may just have arrived. We're not sure. But uh, they're a migratory species, so it may be that they arrived in the autumn and just remained undetected until now. We wouldn't really know about nesting until it gets more towards the springtime. So it's too early to say. Uh, I'd say, you know, the, the, you know, the odds would be against it. But who knows? You know, it would be wonderful if that did happen. Be fantastic. It really would. And is the the wetlands of the Gira, would you say that's a perfect habitat for them? Yes, yes, it really looks it looks excellent because it does have plenty of these big bulrushes, which they like, and that's a, that's a plant that's quite quite scarce in other parts of Ireland. And this bird is very specific in the kind of habitat that it likes. It's called a pendulum tit, and um, because it builds this hanging nest, so it's a pendulous nest that's uh, like a, like a basket that comes down from the trees, and they use actually that fluff from the bulrushes to make that nest. So it's very important for them, and that's where they find their food as well. We, somebody wants to know um, we, we, we're having a relatively mild winter is that a contributory factor in, in any way could you ask an eye to these birds arriving here well certainly these are birds that prefer warmer conditions and um, so they're not a bird that really tends to like cold weather very much so in lots of the parts of let's say Eastern Europe or Western Asia where they would nest in the summer it's quite warm there but then in the winter it gets extremely cold and those birds generally migrate south towards the Mediterranean. In places like Spain, in some of those areas, they can stay year-round where it's a bit warmer. So, yes, they wouldn't like very cold conditions. So the fact that um, it's been a relatively mild winter so far would certainly help their survival. They don't really like the cold conditions. But it, it, it's hard to know exactly what prompted them to go there in the first place. They, it, it's maybe that they migrated in the wrong direction. We're not quite sure about that. We'll probably never know. But certainly the milder the conditions, the better for them. And have you reports of any other unusual birds in, in that particular area? Well, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, one, one, one of the, uh, the, 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 I suppose, the, 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 the things that often happens when a rare bird turns up and you get lots of bird watchers in one location like that is they start to spot other things that would have gone undetected. So I believe um, a couple of days ago there, was, there were a few bird watchers there looking for the pendulum tits um, in the reed beds and all of a sudden a bird called a bittern flew up and was just uh, briefly seen. Now the bittern is a, it's a bird that became extinct in Ireland in the 19th century and since then we've had sporadic records of them in the winter. It's a member of the heron family and unlike the pendulum tits it's quite a large bird um, but uh, it's it tends to hide in, in reed beds and very rarely comes out in the open. It's very, very shy. So it just shows that having having all these bird watchers in one location, these rare birds can be spotted. And I believe there's also a bird called a great white egret there, a very large all-white heron, even larger than the, the little egrets, which I'm sure that many many of the listeners would be would be familiar with um, in, in that region of, of Cork um, that colonised Ireland in, in the mid-1990s. Well, even bigger than that, and one of these birds, these great white egrets, has been seen in the area too. So it's, it's yeah, Brilliant. it's all going to Geirid. And of course, we know that the Geirid is a designated nature reserve. I mean, yeah. when we get unusual birds like this uh, turning up, it shows the importance, doesn't it, of letting nature do its own thing? Oh, very much so, yes. And the gear itself is a really unique habitat in, in an Irish, even in a Western European context. It's a really, um, the, the sort of, the, that sort of flooded forest area, it's amazing. And the, the, the fact is, yeah, we need more natural spaces in Ireland. We, we, have, uh, we have very few compared to a lot of other European countries and it just shows that for, for rare birds like this, it's important, but also for the, for the common birds that are becoming increasingly rare elsewhere. They can be a refuge and really, really important places for, for wildlife and indeed for people to enjoy that wildlife. So we certainly need more of them and the gear certainly is one of the jewels of the crown of Ireland's environmental side. And good for tourism, I take it. I mean, bird watching, it's a very popular hobby. 
Well, it absolutely is. And I think that's something that's often underappreciated in Ireland. The amount of bird watchers around the world, particularly in North America, where there are, there are tens of millions of, of bird watchers, um, it really is a, a force for you know for, for economic growth. And, and I think that's something that we should we should play more to here in Ireland. We have some, for example, some of the best seabird colonies in, in all of the world where people can go see puffins and birds like that. And we really undersell ourselves as a country in that regard. I think we can do a lot more um, to attract tourism and to, and to focus on the importance of these natural sites and, and uh, for wildlife. I think they win-win. You've got to be very patient, though, you, to be a bird watcher. It, it, it depends. Um, there's many different levels of bird watching. I mean, most of our members in Birdwatch Ireland are people who tend to like to watch the birds coming and going from the feeders in their back garden. Yeah. The nice thing about bird watching is you can do it anywhere. Uh, you can take a pair of binoculars around your neck when you're on a, on a walk and and, uh, and see them. And one of the things that I love about bird watching is it's not just about the rare birds. You find new things about even the commonest birds all the time. They do fascinating things. They're beautiful to watch, beautiful to listen to when they're singing in the springtime as well. So I think yeah, the, the more bird watchers, the better as far as I'm concerned. It's a yeah, wonderful thing. Yeah, and with the, the little bit of a stretch in the evening we'll all be looking forward to the uh, to the dawn course which is always a, a gorgeous sound and one that we all uh, learned to love again during uh, during the lockdowns remember the lockdowns and there was so much less traffic on the road and the birds in the morning were just stunning the sounds they were making they were and the very first lockdown coincided with the start of that dawn course season so yeah. I think for a lot of people it became a real source of both entertainment but also solace and comfort at a very difficult time uh, and I think that what we've seen from the pandemic is that more people than ever before have realised the value of nature in their lives, but also the impact that we humans and our activities have on nature has little space has been given to it. I think you know, we're seeing more and more people thinking that the balance needs to be addressed and we need to do more to encourage these natural spaces and, and, and the wildlife and to try and help help nature to recover and to restore itself because we're, we're in the midst of a twin biodiversity and climate crisis which yeah. is, is threatening humanity and, and the lack of wildlife is a very big part yeah. of that. And that's why nature reserves like the Gira are so important. And by the way, when, when an unusual bird like that is, is spotted, do you get contacted at Birdwatch Ireland for you to record it. Is that what happens? Well, so we, so that there is a, there is a body um, that we're associated with called the, the, the Irish Rare Birds Committee. So they assess all the records of these birds that come in. Now these birds have been very well photographed, so that, that this record will certainly be accepted. That, 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 uh, no 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 identification of these birds. People do often contact us. People do tend to put them up on social media. But there's a very um, you know, there's a lot of bird watchers in Ireland who share this information. Spots up groups and other online groups. The information share is very rapidly spread very very rapidly. So um, um, the, the website and social media group that, that said spread this very quickly so, so the, word, the word gets out very rapidly Okay as uh, all roads lead into the gear at the moment uh, yeah. people taking photographs and, and spotting these lovely little birds Listen Niall as always a pleasure to talk to you thank you for that Thanks for having me. Thank and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That's uh, the lovely Nile Hatch of Bird Watch Ireland. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We spotted this on Twitter yesterday. Somebody calling out Tesco Ireland on the eve of uh, Nolignaman for the translation. Uh, you know, when if you're inside in Tesco supermarkets, there's a lot of supermarkets, but especially in Tesco, over the aisles, you can look up to see what's down various aisles. You know, they'll have a sign up, you know, saying condiments or meat or dairy or whatever is down that particular aisle. And they'll have it written in English and then underneath is translated into Irish, which is a, a nice thing for uh, Tesco Ireland to do. But there is a sign in. Now, I don't know if this is in every single Tesco store. I'll have to look the next time I'm in a Tesco store. But there was an, an aisle 
somewhere where they have cards and party items, stationery, domestic appliances and cookware. And the three items are mentioned in this blue sign hanging down over the aisle uh, and then it's translated into Irish. But the domestic appliances, the anyone who is really good, Oscar Elga, uh, and has the cupola focal, the literal translation of the domestic appliances in Irish is appliances for women. <laughs> <laughs> on the eve of Nolignamon that's putting all of us in, in our place you, no, ma- no man is allowed to buy any of those domestic appliances it's just for us the women now yesterday on the programme Joe from Kilmallock joined us on the comment line we were talking about we were having a general discussion about dogs and control of dogs and dangerous dogs and dogs that are on the dangerous dogs uh, breed list and that then led to somebody suggesting that would it not be a good idea that when you go for your dog licence that uh, at the same time you can only get your dog licence if it's microchipped and link it link the microchipping to the licence and people thought that was a, a terrific idea until I threw a spanner in the works and said what about the number of people that own dogs and don't own a dog licence and Joe was wondering well how many dogs are licensed in this country and he being in Kilmallock is in the Limerick area and was wondering so I said look leave it with us and we'll get on to the department and we'll ask them if they can give us please the figures for the number of households that have gone to the bother of going along and getting a dog licence for their dogs. Now, they say that the 2020 stats aren't out yet. So what they have, the latest figures they have, are the figures for 2021. So, you know, I don't know how much it would change by from year to year. They tell us that the total number of dogs licensed by the local authorities in 2021 was 201,146. And it includes, like, individual dogs make up the bulk of them. But there's also things like a, a general dog licence, and then you can get a lifetime dog dog licence. Now the general dog licence that quali- that covers an unspecified number of dogs in one premises. That obviously would be dog breeders. And then you've got the annual dog licence and then the general dog licence valid for one year and the uh, while the lifetime of a dog licence is uh, valid, the lifetime one you can get and that's for the lifetime of the dog and some people opt uh, to do that when they get a puppy. Rather than going and getting a dog licence every year, they get one of these lifetime licences that got introduced a few years ago. So we also asked them, would they give us a breakdown please, local authority by local authority so we could see where all the dogs are and whether they're licensed or not. Now, first of all, I have to say, I genuinely, hand on heart, believe there are more than 201,000 dogs in this country. I think, I don't know what proportion of dogs actually live in this country, so therefore what proportion are licensed and what are unlicensed. But what's really interesting, when I poured over the figures yesterday, I, you know, we were interested in Cork City and uh, County, two different local authorities, so there's two different st- sets of figures. Cork City, and by the way, they're basing the census figures, the population figures are based on the 2016 uh, census. So obviously the figures that come out for this year will be based on the more up-to-date census. But uh, looking at in uh, the number of humans in Cork City for 2021 was a 210,858. So of the 210,000 people, there was just over 7,000 dogs licensed for Cork City. We do much better, I have to say, in Cork County. 332,000 people, of which there are 28,506 dogs licensed. Now, Joe wants us to check uh, uh, check out Cork City and 
or Limerick City and County because that's where the local authority he would fall under. 194,000 people and the dogs licensed just under 9,000. But then I took a look at the Dublin figures. Now, three different local authorities. There's Dublin City, there's Dunleary, Rathdown and there's Fingal. Now, when you add up all the population, there's over a million people in that general area in Dublin. And would you believe they have less dogs licensed than we have here in Cork County? They had, when you add up the three different local authorities in the Dublin area, they had just over 23,000 dogs, where we here in Cork County had 28,500 dogs. So you're telling me we have more dogs in Cork County leaving out the city just in the county than they do in the whole of the three local authority areas in Dublin. Mm, I think dog wardens are going to be checking up on people in the Dublin area uh, to see how many dogs are, are actually there and how many are licensed. And when you look at the number of dog licenses per 100 people, we are well up there in Cork County at 8. 32%. The only county that beats us is Galway. They have 10% of their population have a dog licence, but we certainly have the most actual physical dogs licence, but that's based on uh, the population of uh, Cork County based at 332,000. But I really am calling that out and wondering, you know, there's got to be a lot more dogs in this country that are not licensed. And that's why when we were talking about that suggestion of somebody saying what we should do is we should link microchipping to a dog licence. That's all well and good if you're going to licence your dog. 0818103103. We spoke about these powerful satellites that are now in the sky right across Europe monitoring farms every farm now is going to be inspected every five days Uh, Joe says wouldn't it be a good idea if they could use the satellites to protect the farmers when it comes to things like cattle rustling that we featured on the programme this week or sheep attacks by dogs which we also spoke about Um, wouldn't it just wouldn't it be great I don't know if would the satellites be able to pick that up but it certainly would be great if they could zoom in and get sort of information on the type of dog that did the sheep attack but certainly it would be great if they could get registration numbers for cattle uh, rustlers yeah that's uh, who knows going forward uh, we'll have to wait and see uh, Joe thank you for that while Michael in Ochnahini said instead of the Department of Agriculture what he says annoying farmers with these satellite inspections maybe they could put a camera at all of our hospital doors and sort out the living who can't access health care at the moment and that's in from uh, Joe thanks for that Joe and just let me go to health services uh, still getting in a number of uh, calls and emails in on uh, this uh, let me see some of your calls. Mary Ann, who lives in Douglas, was on. Oh, I don't know if everyone's going to agree with Mary Ann on this. She says a lot of the problems in our healthcare service is due to the fact that they, the HSE and the Department of Health decided to offer free GP access to under six, under sixes. By doing that, they're putting a huge m- number a huge amount of additional strain on our GP services people because they don't have to pay for their under six to go to the doctor whereas before when they had to pay they might have been more inclined to try to sort the issue themselves instead they're all running into the GP practice and that then is having a knock on that people can't get uh, appointments. Now Marianne said in her own personal circumstances she doesn't pay for anything like Sky TV or any sort of a, a TV service coming into her house. She doesn't go out drinking. She saves very hard so that every single year she can pay for top class private health care 
insurance. So she said, if I need to see a consultant or if I need to access healthcare, she said, I know I'm covered by my private health insurance. She said, I hear all of these people going on TV and radio talking and giving out about the healthcare service and describing it like a war zone. But we are, at the end of the day, a first world uh, country. If those who are in A&E are supposed to be sick, they shouldn't be able to go on radio and TV giving out about the service. Maybe if those same people stopped paying for Sky TV, stopped going out drinking and socialising and saved their money, they may be able to afford private health care and take some pressure off the system. I think that's kind of a little bit unfair of you, uh, Marianne, I have to say. And, you know, we're well done and fair dues to you to putting your getting your pennies together and making sure that you have the cost of your private health care. But if, God forbid, in the morning you end up in the back of an ambulance and get taken into an accident in emergency department, it won't make a difference whether you have private health insurance or not. The private health insurance will only kick in when you get into the hospital bed. But I know what the point you're making is that people who have private health insurance look after their health and make sure that they go to a doctor and make sure that they go and see a consultant that people who don't have private health insurance, Mary Ann was saying, they're the ones then that neglect their health and then they end up in the accident emergency department. But as for the people who are contacting radio stations and newspapers and uh, TVs, in many cases, it isn't the sick person themselves. But even if it is, uh, often cases, uh, it's when they come home from hospital that they're actually doing it. But many of the others are people, and we've certainly heard from some of them, who are speaking on behalf of a loved one who had a really, really, you know, bad situation when they got into the A&E department. And I think they're right to complain because if people don't complain, we're never going to know what's going on inside in our accident emergency departments. And lots of others are taking a very different view to you and are saying it's very brave of people to come out and speak up, particularly the ones that are actually in a hospital bed, that it's very brave of them to come out and to share their uh, story. But, you know, I think, you know, and it's... I don't think people waste money on Sky or waste money on socialising. I mean, they're trying to live their life as well. Uh, And I just think it's unfair to say that, you know, people should be scrimping and scraping to get private health insurance and that will solve the problem because I don't, I really don't think it is as simple as that. But thank you for your call to the programme. And then this listener says, I was in hospital a few weeks ago. I had to go into Cork University Hospital. What a nightmare. I was sitting on a rock hard chair from 7.45am in the morning. That was on Wednesday morning. I finally got a bed four o'clock on Thursday afternoon. So well over 24 hours sitting on a hard chair. Uh, Now, when I say I got a bed, I I have to say, I can't say that I also got nursing care. I had my own medication with me and I was told, take that whenever you normally take it. I got bloods taken the following morning. That was Friday morning. And then I was told to go home at two o'clock to be told you'll be called back in and be treated as an outpatient. I was so I went into hospital ended up in a hospital bed and then I've been told I need to go home and wait for an outpatient's appointment for the procedure that I need. I'm still in pain, by the way. I said to the ward sister that day as I was being discharged, I came in here in pain and I'm now going home with the same amount of pain. I'm f- I'm fearful of what I'll have before I get the outpatient appointment. I thought, oh God, that's just... Uh, I'm really taken aback by that because at least... If you were given the outpatient's appointment for, say, the following few days or within a week of being discharged, but to be sent home in the same pain that you ended up in there, 
and to be told to go home and wait for an outpatient appointment is really, really, that's a, that's a hard pill uh, to swallow indeed. And someone else says, I'm, I'm, listen, I hope you get sorted very soon and, and let us know how you're getting on. Hi, Patricia. Too many chiefs, not enough Indians. Remember that old saying, that's what's going on in the HSE. I never thought that we had so many professors, professors linked to the HSE until covid and there seem to be a panel of them appearing every night on uh, TV. 0818103103. Eddie Imbandon says Mary Rose is talking a lot of sense. This is Mary Rose on the health insurance. She, he says too many under sixes are getting free GP care. It's simply adding pressure. Uh, plus, yes, people not spending their money wisely. Too much emphasis on spending money on services than rather maybe on getting private health insurance. We had a situation in this country that people take everything for granted. For example, when we had free water, it's not respected. While when people are paying for their water, they might rethink on how much they use or how much they are wasting. If you get something for free, it gets abused. Imelda in Crosshaven says, I agree somewhat with Mary Rose's view, but if it's an emergency situation, you can have all the private health insurance in the world, but no good to you if you can't get into a private hospital. But I do feel like what Mary Rose said, that some people's priorities today are wrong. So many people are paying for things that they don't need. Other people are investing in very expensive holidays and then they'll struggle buying proper food for their families and then they'll moan about it instead of saving their money and the money that they have, spend it uh, wisely. Do we really need expensive TV services? Um, or do people really need to go on holidays uh, questioning how people are actually spending their money? 0818 103 103. And just on, oh, this is John in Glamworth. Thank you for this. This is responding to Martin in Formoy, who was saying that the traffic in Formoy town yesterday was bedlam. Now, he accepts that the schools went back and he didn't know if that was the cause of it or not. And he was wondering what's going on with traffic in Formoy. John in Glamworth reckons he knows what's going wrong with traffic in Formoy. He says since the start of January, they've changed the road layout in Formoy. When you drive through Formoy, there are four side streets off the main street. The second last one was always a two way traffic system, but now it's been made one way and you can only go up. So anyone coming down that part of town has to come near the library and then go on to Patrick Street. That's why he said the queues are forming coming into Friday, particularly on a Friday evening. Queues of traffic coming into the town. People then turn right to avoid the traffic, but then they end up on Patrick Street. That's causing further delays. He thinks that's the problem at the moment and it's to do with the layout of traffic. It's changed since the start of the year. 0818 103 103. Uh, John Paul taking your uh, calls. You can text or you can uh, WhatsApp to 0862103103. I'm going to line one. I'm going to uh, Betty's on uh, line one. Good afternoon, Betty. Good afternoon, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Happy New Year to you. And, Many happy returns, and my dear. Happy Nulligdaman and all that. Now, you say, <laughs> you say there's no such thing as private health insurance. There is such thing as private health insurance. It doesn't mean you're guaranteed a bed. That's the problem, isn't it? My sister was in there in COH when I got back up a few weeks ago. She had private health insurance and she sat for 48 hours in A&E and did, couldn't get a bed for, as I say, that length of time. She was 78 years of age. 
Yeah, the private health insurance only kicks in when you get into the bed. Of course, you know, but for the ones to come along and say, well, if you didn't pay Sky and you didn't pay this and you didn't pay that, yeah. you're guaranteed health and care. You're not. Yeah, yeah. I think, though, she was making the point that if you have private health insurance, you look after your health. But emergencies, Maybe, yeah. but emergencies can happen to anyone. At any time, yeah. yeah. You can have an accident in the road. And then, like you say, it doesn't kick in until you get into your bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know... She didn't even have a shower in the bedroom. All she had to do was use white. Are you serious? Yeah. For three days, she didn't have a shower in the room. And this woman was pay- paying private health insurance. And she was sitting in the A&E she department. She was in a chair for 48 hours. Well, and was anyone allowed in with her? Uh, not for the first day. My God. Not for the first day. Her daughter happened to be away on holiday. Not for the first day. Now, that might not be due to the hospital. Yeah. But um, there wasn't room to move there anyway. So 48 hours waiting to get a bed. Yes. And, and then, as I said, she got a bed. But and how long like, did she did she end up in hospital? Was she in there for she's long? She's been seven, eight days in hospital. So she was very unwell. Uh, very unwell is right. Yeah, very unwell. She was actually bleeding, oh, bleeding through her bowel. She had to get normally blood transfusions. My God! And she was I even forty-eight hours sitting on a chair with that happening. Yeah, yeah. And listening, even listening to the lady there earlier on that was spent for seventy odd hours. Or 54 hours or whatever yeah, it's it was. Cruel. It's cruel. Taken in with a cut in, a suspected cut in her lung. I know. I mean, that's a life and death situation. Well, that could have been a much worse situation. It we, could we, well have been. Yeah. yeah, it could well have been. Yeah, and that young girl at University Hospital in Limerick last week. Oh, who, my God. The meningitis oh God. girl. Just I mean, doesn't bear thinking. Because we have all the ads for meningitis telling us doesn't you, bear you, you need. And she got left on a trolley and died. Yeah. And apparently the family had raised the alarm time and time yeah. again. They needed help. They could see her deteriorating. Shocking. So it's not the nurse. It's not the nurse's no. fault of the doctors. My heart goes out to them. But I tell you, I pray every day that none of us end up, yeah. end up in hospital at the moment while this is going on. It really is I scary. mean, my, my, my own son spent from half four in the evening to half five the following morning in CUH with his eight-month-old baby <sighs> of a weekend. And I can tell you, Saturday night is an experience there. With a baby. With what comes in of a Saturday night, there is yeah. an experience off the street. Yeah, yeah. And that's what he said. He said, my heart goes out to the nurses and the doctors there, what they've got to put up with. They're heading for burnout, though. Um, oh, Betty. my God. They really my are. God. Listen, Patricia, you probably have a lot more calls. And thank you very Listen, much. Listen, no problem. Thank you for making the call. Mm. Good afternoon right, to you. Bye-bye. Uh, bye-bye. Uh, 0818-103-103. John Paul taking your calls. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Social dancing on in the Marion Hall in Ballinhasic tonight from nine. Singing Jarvie. Admission 10 euro. It does include teas. There's bingo on in Mallow GAA Complex. That's at 8.15 with a jackpot 4,400 euro. And there's also bingo in the Kildallery Creamery Yard tonight at 8. Their jackpot is at 1,260. And tomorrow night to celebrate Nulig Naman, there's a night of music and entertainment organised by the Mallow GAA Ladies Committee. 8 o'clock tomorrow night, admission 15 euro. It includes finger food. There'll be a raffle with all proceeds going to the National Children's Ambulance uh, Service. And good luck to everybody involved with Cullen and District Special Needs Association. They've been doing this for years. Their annual sponsor 
sponsored weigh-in. It starts next Monday, 8 o'clock, Colin Community Centre, and it will continue until Monday, the 13th of March. All are welcome. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. And let me go to some more of your calls and comments. Eileen in Ballyhay says, I'm sick to the teeth of the healthcare system blaming our elderly and blaming the fact that we have an ageing population and people are living longer. There are so many new people that have come into this country. That's got a lot to do with the population increase. But while the population has been increasing, they haven't allocated the same numbers to the health service. We have doctors and nurses who simply cannot get accommodation inside in the cities where they want to work in our hospitals. No wonder so many of them are leaving the country. Uh, by WhatsApp, Patricia. Patients are instructed to consult with their GP out of our service or urgent care facilities before considering going to any A and E departments. However, even if you do follow this advice, the end result in many cases is a referral to the A and E. In other countries around the world, GPs can deal with every eventuality, including delivering babies and conducting minor surgery within their own surgeries. Here in Ireland, the buck stops with a consultant and no doctor in the HSC can make a diagnosis or discharge a patient, even though they have completed their full medical tra- tra- medical training. All patient care has to be approved by the relevant hospital consultant. That's causing huge delays within our hospital system. Yeah, and add to that the fact that we have a shortage of hospital consultants at, at the moment. Hi Patricia, if the HSC are going to reopen nursing homes, where are they going to get the staff from? There is no joined up thinking and to think we thought most of these people come with high intelligence. Hi Patricia, I agree with Marianne from Douglas regarding the under six GP scheme. It's simply putting too much strain on the health system. It's unfortunate for the elderly. They are really suffering as they can't get in to see their GP and they are the ones who really need the service. Patricia, people are paying taxes to have a health service. The cheek of that woman, Marianne, it's the likes of her benefiting from the public facilities being used by the private consultants. And someone else says the vets are gifted physicians. They're able to diagnose without their animal patients ever being able to speak a word. I've decided that the next time I'm feeling unwell, I'm tempted to go into the vet uh, that when I'm sick because animals seem to have a far better service than we have here. Hi, Patricia. Cut the children's GP visit cards. Only issue them to children with an underlying illness. It certainly would free up a lot of appointments for others. And someone said people with medical cards can look after their health more. Why? Because they get free GP and free uh, prescriptions. Uh, so it's wrong to say that somebody, so many people with private health insurance that are looking after their uh, health. And then on the satellites and the farmers that we mentioned earlier and these powerful satellites now that are starting to inspect farms every five days. Anthony says it just shows how this country is totally answerable to Europe who are in charge of all the big calls here. The government have laid down to every call they've made. We've lost everything that was hard fought for 100 years ago. And any resource we have has been taken away by uh, Europe tied in with the, the, the interview we did yesterday on the fishing industry and our doors are open to the world. Things are only getting worse, says Anthony. And hi, Patricia, wouldn't it be great if those satellites that are now spying on farmers. Wouldn't it be great if they could follow drug dealers 
and arrest them making their deals. Wouldn't it be just? And then another listener says it's just targeting the farmer again. And it isn't just Irish farmers. It's uh, every farmer right across the EU. OK, we're going to take a break and we're back talking movies with Mark Malone after these. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Joining us with some movie suggestions is Mark Malone. Good afternoon, Mark. You went to see Avatar The Way of Water and uh, Glass Onions, uh, a, a Knives Out mystery. Now we're going to take a trailer from Avatar. The humans are returning. They're hunting us. What's our plan? This is our home. This is our family. This is our fortress. This is where we make our stand. We must protect the people. Let's get it done. Now, Avatar, The Way of Water. This is the one where Kate Winslet had to learn to hold her breath yeah. for a huge amount of time yeah, underwater. Come, yeah, a few years ago, they talked about Tom Cruise when he made Mission Impossible and apparently he was under under the water for like six minutes or something and she beat that record. Yeah. Uh, it's like she was underwater for about seven yeah, or, I saw or eight it minutes. Was, yeah, it was just under, under eight minutes. I saw the clip of her, her doing it. It was incredible. It's extraordinary, but it shows it can be done with the training, yeah. But yeah. Um, of course, the question we have to ask though is that why, why? if this is all computer generated I know why and the reason is that they, they use motion capture they've you know all of the characters you see are actually done by the actors they get all of those sensors all over their bodies yeah. and so therefore um, for some reason they decided yes if they're underwater they will have the actors uh, go underwater as well and because that's the thing about James Cameron he's always been that kind of director he wants the you know the uh, the actors to get kind of down and dirty in his films although he has I believe kind of tamed the wilder side of his kind of direction over the last few years uh, compared to now so yeah so um, I, I presume you saw the first film. Did you see I it? I did, yeah. yeah. I did, yeah. I did, I haven't like seen it? this. I did, yeah. I did. I did, did like I, it. Yeah, because when I saw it, it, it's about 13 years ago now. Is it that long ago? That I was long, trying yeah. to work out when it was, yeah. yeah. And um, when I saw it, I saw it in 3D because that was the big, big thing. But yeah. as I was watching it, I remember thinking, God, I, I wish I could watch this in 2D. And I kept taking the glasses off to see what it actually looks like because I didn't like the 3D. I thought that the 3D was a lot of nonsense. It kind of got um, a lot of negativity from the critics, but it ended up being the most successful movie of all time. Uh, but people were asking, you know, a few years back when we heard that there was going to be a sequel, uh, you know, people were asking, do we need do we need another one? Because people tended not to look back at it like we do with the great classic movies that we all love, like things like Back to the Future. I mean, if I said, I don't know, um, if I said, you know, Marty McFly to you, you'd know. Back to the Future. You'd know Back to the Future. Yeah. But if I asked you, who, uh, what's the main character's name? Not a clue uh, in that. No. Yeah, so we didn't have that kind of same kind of emotional response to the original film. So people were worried uh, because we found out that James Cameron was making, a, was spending a huge amount amount of money. He was not only making uh, a second, uh, a sequel, he was making a third and a fourth as well, uh, which I, apparently he has nearly finished. Now, it was said uh, that for this film to earn any kind of uh, profit at all, it had to make $2 billion. And people in the industry said that's not going to happen. And even James Cameron said, look, if, if it doesn't make any money and if it's a disaster, I won't release three and four. I'll take the hit. Uh, but I can tell you that oh, after, I think it's only about three weeks or something, it's already made nearly $1.6 billion 
billion dollars box office worldwide. So people are going to see it, even though some of the critics have been a bit kind of sniffy about it. A couple of very, very well-known critics in Britain, for example, said it's incredibly boring. Um, and in fact, it's three hours and 15 minutes long. Whoa. It's even longer than the Batman film that we saw earlier on Whoa. this year. It is very, very long. So I decided <laughs> to look up the internet as to when is the best time to go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there are yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a long time to be sitting there, yeah. And there are hundreds of websites which tell you exactly that. Are you for real? Yeah, and some of them say, look, you know, the boring parts will be around two and a half hours. And that was the thing that I noticed. People kept referring to the fact that there are boring parts in this film. I went to the cinema to see it. I decided it is available in 3D. I said, I'm not touching the 3D. I'm going to go see the 2D version. My daughter had gone a few days previously with her friends and she said, look, I think you will like it. As I'm watching this film, I'm about two hours and two and a half hours in, and I'm, it's getting to the bathroom break time. But I'm thinking, where are these supposed boring bits? Yeah. I'm thinking, this is terrific. I'm really enjoying this. I think this is magnificent. And look, sure, the storyline, like the first film, it, like the first one was Dances with Wolves, you know what I mean? It's very similar to that again. The humans, as you heard in the trailer, they're coming back again. So Jake Sully decides, he now has a family, by the way, in this film. He decides to take them uh, away from Pandora, uh, away from the humans to try and save their lives. And he goes to stay with this, um, with the with these characters. It's the Metankaya. And uh, they're slightly different uh, to the Navi. They're taller and they're more green, but they spend most of their time underwater. underwater yeah. 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 So, so initially, so that's where the way of the water comes from. Yeah. So initially, there's a kind of negativity towards them because they're saying you're going to bring the humans to us, but they decide, look, okay, you can stay. We would teach you our ways, um, um, and it's. I just, I just thought it was absolutely terrific. I thought it was really, really entertaining. As you can imagine, the film looks extraordinary. I've, anything I've seen on uh, TV or online, I- extraordinary. It does. It really does. You're right. The right word. It does look extraordinary. Exactly. And even though some of the critics have said, look, there's not much of a story here, but look, if you look at a great painting you don't necessarily need to know the story you just love what you're looking at and I think there's a room for everything sure it's not character driven it's not the Banshees of Hill Sheeran do you know what I mean but at the same time I think there's a place for everything and I think the action sequences are terrific I think the uh, motion capture is terrific uh, you know it's odd having the kids say yo yo bro which is very <laughs> odd every now and then uh, but I was I was enthralled by the whole thing I was never bored which is not like me with a three uh, or 15 minute movie I thought uh, all the performances, like you know, you got you got Kate Winslet, you got Sigourney Weaver, you got Zoe Saldana, you know, you got Sam Worthington. It's, it's a, a brilliant pretty cast. good cast. Yeah, yeah. And look, I know it's long, and it won't be too um, to, 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 too too long for children. I, I, but but the thing, so much stuff is happening on the screen constantly that it might hold their attention. That it yeah. might hold their attention. Yeah. It did mine. Yeah. Uh, and you know me. I yeah. Wanna, you're I an hour and a half man. And you're out of there. Exactly. Now yeah. they could have taken an hour out. Of course they could have. But I was just sitting there in the cinema, just watching this beauty unfold uh, in front of me. Okay. And I, I really well enjoyed it. Mark it out of ten. I'll give it eight. Eight out of ten. And by the way, I did watch the Banshees of Inisherin over Christ- or the Banshees of Inisherin <laughs> uh, over Christmas and loved it. It's dark, but it's very good. And I can understand why. I mean, I know Colin Farrell has been tipped for an Oscar, but I th- every one of them deserved to be tipped. Do you know there'll be a lot of uh, Irish nominees this year? Oh, I think, I think so. Yeah, yeah w- well worth it. Now, now this is also another movie that uh, I spent time watching over Christmas: uh, Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. Just explain to listeners what this movie is all about. Uh, well, it's a, it's another sequel. It's a sequel to um, Knives Out, which uh, you, I presume you've seen. I presume you've seen see, the first one. Have see, you? I don't know if I did. 
I oh. actually don't know if I did. It's just so many people were talking about Glass Onion. I said, oh God, I'm going to watch this movie. I'm talking about it. So I don't know if I did. I actually don't know if I did. Well, I think if you had seen it, you would you would know because yeah. it was that good. I mean, it really, really was terrific. Uh, this is written and directed by Ryan Johnson once again. Um, and, uh, you know, he's a he's a huge fan of those kind of movies. You know what I mean? Of kind of Sherlock Holmes, of Agatha Christie. And he wanted to kind of do that kind of thing. And then the original film, um, I don't know if you, if you, you obviously can't remember if you've yeah. seen it or not, but it was a very, very kind of small movie and a very complex Packed movie in a kind of a in 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 a New England uh, house um, in in the fall and you know people you know Chris Evans jumpers he was wearing an Aaron sweater at some time became really famous and it was very tightly directed and written and it was absolutely terrific so people were looking for a second one and there will be a third because they're already talking about that and this is very very different in look and feel because this is filmed in the Greek islands they did it during lockdown they actually because normally when you go to the Greek islands to make a film you'll go during winter where the sun is still shining but it's a little bit colder and there's no tour because of course it was filmed during they lockdown. They were able to go. They were the able summer. to go and film yeah. it in the summer. So you can feel the heat of the screen. The film looks beautiful. Everybody's in bikinis this time, as opposed yeah. to kind of uh, you know big. And jumpers. they're wearing masks. And they're wearing masks. Well, but yeah. but I think the reason why he decided I, at the very start they're wearing masks. Yeah, and just when they arrive. And my daughter kind of went, "Why would they do that? They didn't necessarily have to do that." I think the joke is is that uh, when uh, Kate Hudson arrives, for example, she can you can look right She's through her mask. She's a mesh. It's a mesh She's of a mask. And, and I also think it places it and it will time. So in 10, 15 years time, when people look at it, they go, oh, God, that was during COVID times. They're wearing masks. Yeah. So the story is, is that um, the character of Edward Norton here, who plays the character of Miles Brown, who's this billionaire, uh, invites all his friends with whom he's had previous uh, to this Greek island where to, to have a murder mystery, where part of the murder mystery, he will be killed at some stage, uh, in inverted commas. Um, so he invites all these people. They all meet on this pier. Uh, but also arrives is Daniel Craig playing once again Benoit Blanc with that accent. And, um, and he and he. Did didn't invite him. He's like, well, why are you here? How did you get here? Exactly. Uh, so then, of course, the usual kind of stuff begins to happen. Um, is it as good as the first one? Personally, I don't think so, because uh, quite a lot happens, which kind of annoys me. And it's almost as if they kind of undermine Daniel Craig's uh, Benoit, Benoit Blanc here, because instead of great detective work, he just seems to overhear stuff. It's like he's just behind yeah, poles. Yeah. He's behind bushes. And it just so happens that people happen to say something. Which just will as he's standing just behind as the bush. Standing there. Yeah. And it's, there was too much of that, I think. There's also a reveal about an hour in, which really annoyed me which I didn't really really quite believe um, but it, at the same time there's lots to enjoy here the film looks beautiful great cast Daniel Craig Kate Husband uh, Dave uh, Batista Edward Norton Catherine Hand is wonderful but then she always is at everything she does and it's very very much still worth um, a look but it's nowhere near as first for me it's uh, it's not as good as the first the, his, what was the thing with his accents yeah, I mean, I, when I watched it, it was a bit like watching Johnny Depp in Pirates of the Caribbean. When you first see it, you kind of go, oh, I don't like it. I'm not sure about it. Look, the Americans haven't complained about it. They actually yeah. kind of like it. So it's, I don't, well, should, why should we complain about it? We complain about Irish accents all the time. Um, but it is an odd. I don't know if he was doing Burl Lives or something. I, I don't I, know. I, it is I, odd. I, I have to say, when he first started speaking, I started laughing, saying, oh, God, I'm going to hate this if that's the way he's going to talk for the duration of the movie. I, I did kind of get used to it. But like that, I was trying to say, who is he trying to take off? I couldn't quite pick pinpoint who he was trying to take off because he's got such a lovely speaking voice yeah. thinking, why didn't they leave him with his normal speaking was, and was he that in the first movie as well yeah actually Ryan Johnson has said that uh, the initially they decided to have because because he wanted the films all to be on their own they wanted he wanted them to be these singular movies uh, he didn't want uh, uh, Knives Out to be in the title of this he wanted um, the, the joke was that Janet Craig would use a different accent every time he's on screen but, the, but, but people warmed to the accent in the first film so they've decided to use it Orc. there is a third on the way is there, yeah listen I 
really enjoyed it and it's a, it's a, it's on net, was it Netflix it's on Netflix it's on Netflix yeah. well worth watching that's a Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery Mark it out of 10 I'll give that 7 7 out of 10 ok listen Mark have a lovely week and we'll chat to you again next uh, Friday thanks for that that is uh, Mark Malone our movie review that's where I leave you for today and indeed for this week my thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we will talk to you on Monday morning at 10 on Today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want great advice you know who to talk to cmig.ie normally being a little extra can be a bit much but when it comes to health care it pays to be extra and United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit UH1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.